AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon, as right now we are joined by the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, Patrick Hulican, to talk about some of the latest news from the state legislature, including driver's licenses for undocumented residents, taxing cannabis, and also some news on the Sanford-Fairview merger and how members of the state legislature are taking that proposed merger. So, Patrick, as always, thanks for coming back on today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, let's start off talking about this idea or this bill that actually just passed the Minnesota House, which would give driver's license to people who are undocumented residents of the state of Minnesota. This would repeal a ban that was enacted back in 2003 during the Pawlenty years, which basically prevented driver's license from going to people who are undocumented residents. And it was interesting, and I know uh, Grace had a chance to write about this in her story, but there were a lot of emotional stories that were being shared from some of these immigrants talking about how they were nervous whenever they got behind the wheel and basically having huge celebrations when they got their driver's license because it's it is something we it's easy to take for granted and then when you're talking about people who are here as undocumented residents a little bit of a different scenario for them trying to get behind the wheel yeah absolutely um i think every time they go out they're filled with anxiety and and uh, especially if they see a police officer, and then, of course, if they get in an accident, uh, they face um, a really serious situation, uh, and not just uh, from a legal standpoint, immigration standpoint, but also um, you know, being responsible uh, for the damage. So this is a huge relief uh, to a lot of people, and, and um, I think this is why law enforcement um uh, a number of law enforcement groups are, are in favor of this legislation because um, they want everybody on the road to be licensed, uh, which means they have at least a modicum of uh, of uh, ability and knowledge of the rules of the road. And it's interesting, too. Uh, I think it's a reason why you brought up how some members of law enforcement are in support of this is that typically, and I think we've seen data from other states, that this actually does lead to, well, better drivers and less accidents because, well, now you are getting people on the road who actually do have a driver's license and, well, do know how to operate a car. So it's interesting how that's kind of worked in other states and the fact that, well, potentially we could see hopefully less accidents in Minnesota from something like this happening. Yeah, that's certainly uh, that's certainly the the hope that uh, we're going to have fewer drivers on the road um, who are uh, unlicensed, um, and it's just much uh, easier to uh, to uh, police the roads um, when everybody is uh, licensed, and, um, and and that's why you saw some of that law enforcement support, and and that's why in previous le- uh, legislatures there's been quite a bit of Republican support. Um, and, uh, and so it's an idea that has always had bipartisan law enforcement and certainly business, uh, support. And I think that is one of the things that helped it, uh, get passed so quickly here in the House. And final question on this, and this bill does not impact voting, correct? Because I understand that was a concern from uh, some Republicans as this was being debated in the House. Uh, yeah, they wanted to um, put uh, something on the um, license that uh, they, they offered an amendment that the license would say uh, not for voting, and um, you know, the response was, "This is uh, there's no reason to make this a second class driver's license. Uh, you're not going to be able to uh, 
because you have a driver's license. Um, that's not how uh, we vote. It's not used as a proof of citizenship um, in voting. So um, Secretary of State Steve Simon says there's no impact from this bill on um, voting regulations. And um, the the reality is if you were to, uh, if you were an un- undocumented person and uh, you tried to vote, um, you could face deportation. So um, I don't know why. Um, I, I think somebody would be um, pretty foolish to take that risk um, for their one vote, which is uh, you know, generally not going to uh, change the outcome of an election. Yeah, exactly. The cost seems awfully high, yeah, just to cast one ballot for potentially being deported. So uh, certainly a good point there. Hey, want to move on to another piece that is in the Reformer today, and this one is from Michelle Griffith titled, House Democrats Want State Authority Over Healthcare Consolidations in Minnesota. And this, of course, has to do with the proposed merger between Sanford and Fairview, which would create an enormous health system. In fact, I think one of the largest in the Midwest, which, of course, does have Democrats asking for things to slow down so they can get more information. There are also concerns about this merger having to do with how the University of Minnesota Medical Center would be impacted. Sanford and Fairview do plan to merge by March 31st. That's at least their goal. So what exactly are DFLers saying about this proposed merger? What are some of the concerns that they've been raising thus far? Well, uh, the the, uh, the fear is that uh, this bigger system would uh, would offer um, care that was inferior um, to the two uh, systems pre-merger um, and that um, they would dominate markets in a way that would allow them uh, to um, to raise prices and become really expensive. Um, and then, of course, there's this uh, kind of wild card with the university um, and uh, the university, the Fairview's role um, with the teaching hospital, the University of Minnesota. So uh, a lot of uh, concerns, and lawmakers are now putting that to paper. Now uh, they've uh, an Apple Valley uh, House rep has uh, proposed a bill uh, requiring the State Department of Health to approve this kind of merger. Um, the, the two companies, uh, they're technically nonprofits. They, uh, they want to get this done by the end of March. Um, and lawmakers are saying, hey, hey, let's slow down here and actually look at the, what the ramifications are. And, and the ramifications are, are really big in, uh, rural Minnesota, uh, which is where, uh, the, the combined company, uh, would, would largely operate. And I think that's where the real fears are. And why exactly do Sanford and Fairview want to rush this merger so much? Because it sounds like so many stakeholders, of course, are are thinking we need to slow these down. That, of course, includes the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Also, other providers are saying they should slow down. But what exactly is the rationale from Sanford and Fairview and why they want this thing to go through so quickly and, well, at this point, two months away? Well, I think the faster that it Gets through uh, that that um, you know what you want is is to uh, uh, get it through without the opposition getting organized <laughs> and and stopping the deal and, and because as you may remember they they tried this once before 
unsuccessfully. Um, and, and so, uh, I think they felt like they had some momentum late last year. Um, the governor, um, seems kind of, um, open to it, maybe at least wishy-washy on it. Um, it really feels like the, the opposition is starting to firm up more. Um, and, um, especially at the, the DFL controlled legislature. So I, I think that, um, this is interesting going forward to see what's going to happen. And how exactly could the merger be delayed by the state? I know I think there was a rep in the House, uh, DFL, that was proposing uh, possibly some more oversight on mergers. So I'm curious what some of the options are, at least uh, from the Capitol, on what they could do to possibly delay the merger. Well, the the Democratic legislature has has proven already uh, uh, that they can move quickly uh, um, across a range of issues. Um, And so I think on, on this issue, they... What's been proposed is that the Department of Health um, would get a chance to review any merger and approve it. Um, you also have the Attorney General, uh, who over, who's in charge of oversight for nonprofits. Um, he has a, a, a role to play here, um, and, um, and and so they they could move quickly before this uh, March 31st uh, the, the goal of the merger. Um, and so um, I don't think this is a done deal at all. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And as you said, with the speed that they've been moving out of the state capitol, they certainly could have something to say about that. Uh, you can read more about that over at minnesotareformer.com. I want to move on to another piece, and this is something that Christopher Ingram had a chance to dive into, and that is how recreational cannabis could be taxed in Minnesota because even though uh, you would think, oh, the DFL has to be united on this issue, and they very well might be united at the end, it is interesting to look through the different tax proposals on how we could tax recreational marijuana because the DFL-controlled state legislature is proposing an 8% tax on top of the usual 6.5% sales tax, while the Walls administration is proposing a much larger 15% tax on top of the usual sales tax. So, Patrick, it's kind of interesting ironing out the differences since we are kind of in uncharted territory when it comes to, well, regulating how we're going to intact, regulating and taxing recreational cannabis. And it was just kind of interesting that Christopher had a chance to dive into some of the details. And certainly there are some uh, differences that are going to be need to be ironed out. Yeah, I think um, uh, what, what he uh, points out in his piece is that you don't want to overtax early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason is because uh, you really want to try to stamp out the black market. And if taxes are too high, uh, then people will either, the consumer will go to the, will keep going to the black market where there's no tax, um, or, and or the producers uh, and the retailers won't be able to survive if the taxes are too high. So I think that the, the, the lower tax um, the House Democratic version is 8%, as you said, uh, plus sales tax. Um, that's what they were thinking there. Um, walls came in a bit higher, uh, although it is still considerably lower than what you see in other states where they have really high confiscatory, uh, uh, really style taxes. Um, so this is um, it's an important detail to work out as they move this policy forward. It's, it looks like it's going to pass this year, but they're going to have to... Um, to iron out those differences, um, but it's 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 a really interesting policy uh, puzzle. 
Yeah, exactly. And that start low and go fast to is basically, as you said, kind of not to push people into the black market, introduce them. Well, the idea that you can get recreational cannabis. So I'm curious how this has this worked in other states where they've started low and gone high. I know you mentioned that uh, other states obviously have uh, much higher taxes than what's being proposed in Minnesota. But I'm curious if other states have tried this kind of idea of, well, let's start with the taxes being relatively low and then raise them over time. Yeah, this is the um, this is what the the kind of the policy experts uh, uh, think we ought to do. Um, it, it's largely uh, the experience that we have um, from places like Washington State and California, where um, they socked some pretty big taxes on there right from the get go, and it's uh, kept the the black market alive and well. And you certainly that's kind of what we're trying to avoid here. Yeah, absolutely. And Christopher, I think, also points out an interesting uh, aspect in this that, well, could you eventually get to the point where a big lobby starts where that might push back on possibly raising taxes in the future? Since I suppose that is a possibility if we do end up uh, legalizing recreational marijuana in Minnesota. Yeah, you certainly could get a lobby started off that might not be happy about raising the, raising those taxes. So, uh, yeah, there, there's all sorts of interesting aspects to think through as uh, as this as these types of bills do work their way through the legislature. I think that's something that uh, policymakers need to be, need to anticipate. And, th- and that is that um, once we legalize and you have a legalized industry, they are suddenly going to be, have political influence. They're going to have mm-hmm. lobbyists. Uh, they're going to play a role in campaigns. Um, they're also going to be, they're going to engage in, in marketing um, and, and they're going to become, uh, like any other industry, um, they're going to have influence and, and, and regulated industries, uh, tend to know, uh, that, uh, they know how to accumulate inter- uh, influence and, and how to wield it. So that's something that, uh, we need to be ready for. Um, and it certainly makes, uh, raising taxes uh, on those industries, uh, more difficult because, um, they have people at the Capitol who represent them who are influential. Well, you can read more about this and the other stories we talked about today over at minnesotareformer.com. Again, a great resource for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. We have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.